0: Welcome to Smart Talk, I'm Scott Lamar. Driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs related crashes in Pennsylvania have been on the the decline in recent years. Still, there were 345 deaths attributed to DUI crashes in 2015 and nearly 45,000 DUI arrests in 2016. But the question many ask is whether Pennsylvania's drunk driving laws are strong enough. It's the topic of today's Smart Talk. Our guest, State Senator Scott Martin. He's a Republican representing parts of Lancaster County. He's introduced a series of bills that would toughen the penalties for driving impaired. Senator Martin, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Scott. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Also joining us in the studio are Chris and Susan Demko. Their daughter, Meredith, was killed by a drunk driver in 2014, just months after graduating from Lampeter-Strasburg High. They have been uh, very passionate about uh, their their uh, campaign to get tougher drunk driving laws here in Pennsylvania. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Demko, thank you very much for being with us today. Good thank morning. you. And if you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. Senator Martin, let me start with you. Why do you think Pennsylvania needs tougher drunk driving laws? Well, it's
1: obvious we're just seeing way too many tragedies occur on our roadway. And when you really delve into the data of uh, the types of offenders that are committing these crimes, the repeat offenders, those who are already on suspended license, It's obvious that Pennsylvania laws are inadequate, and there's much more we could do, especially for those repeat offenders, to to prevent the tragedies that occurred with the Demkos and so many other families across the Commonwealth. And it's long past time that we strengthen these laws.
0: So let's describe the legislation that you're proposing.
1: Well, the the new Senate Bill 635 uh, does a, a couple things. It keeps some things in place. Um, first off, uh, it adds a presumption of recklessness or negligence when the death of a person is caused by DUI, which establishes, helps establish malice, which is needed for a third-degree murder conviction. Um, the murder of a person killed as a result of DUI would be considered murder of the third degree, which is graded as a first-degree felony if the indi- individual has more than two prior offenses within a 10-year period um, and could result in a 20- to 40-year sentence. Um,
0: what is it now?
1: Uh, currently, right now, uh, you could have a minimum sentence for a repeat offender of ten ten days in prison. Um, if you're in another accident that actually uh, uh, you're a repeat offender, it, we're going to make that minimum about two years.
0: Okay, so that's for repeat offenders. What about uh, for uh, those who are involved in uh, a fatal accident? Now crash. I'm not. I don't want to use the word accident. Crash. Senator? Senator, are you there? I think we lost okay. Senator Martin. So okay. uh, we'll, we'll get uh, Senator Martin back on the line here. Uh, but let me let me turn to uh, Chris and Susan Demko. Uh, you are very familiar with many of these things. Uh, when Meredith was killed in 2014, um, and, and we're going to talk about uh, the particulars there of, of, of what happened, but in, in this case, I mean, when you started looking into Pennsylvania's drunk driving laws, I have to imagine that you saw some of these things and thought to yourself, that's not right.
2: That's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was within the week following Meredith's death, picking up the mm-hmm. paper and reading the number of tragedies that have occurred or had occurred just in Lancaster County the past 18 months. It, we weren't the first case. We weren't the second um, and the common theme was repeat offender, suspended license, and basically acknowledgement from our, our local police that they knew this guy, the the individual that killed Meredith. He was known as a bad guy. He had a prior record. He was driving on a suspended license. I, it, we realized then it, it wasn't – we weren't one in a million or we weren't the only case in the state of Pennsylvania. It's happened to a lot of people, and there's a lot of people in our group with a similar story.
0: We're going to have Senator Martin back on the the line in just a moment. But uh, Meredith was 18 in uh, June of uh, 2014, had just graduated, as I mentioned in the introduction, from uh, Lampeter-Strasburg High School in Lancaster County. Uh, uh, Susan, tell me about, uh, about Meredith.
3: Um, what kind of person was she? Oh, she was very bubbly and... Um, um, just enjoyed doing different things, and um, it was always like um, she was looking for to circle all the people around her and make sure that everybody was included in everything. So if you were the kid that was kind of sitting by yourself at the lunch table, she'd go over and sit with you. Mm.
0: Now, she had just graduated high school. What did she want yes. to do?
3: Well, um, when she was little, she wanted to be – we always ask her, what, what did you want to do when you grew up? she said, a ballerina, singer, dancer. <laughs> so it was really no surprise to us at all that uh, she was accepted to her scientist college and was going in undecided.
0: <laughs> well, she was keeping her options yes. open. Exactly, exactly.
3: So if Meredith would have had um, a chance to live, I truly believe she probably would have gone into art therapy because she was a wonderful artist, but she was really very smart also.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and from what you describe, when you say bubbly. It sounds like she was very friendly and outgoing, yes, too. Yes, yes, yes.
3: Mm-hmm. She... Um, it's... When you look back, it's such a shame because um, it would have been such a good life. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Chris, this has to be most one of the most painful memories you've ever had, but you got the call.
2: Yep. Um, well, it was... It was really kind of awkward, the whole thing. That's an understatement. Um,
3: right. I, I actually got the call from the um, West Lampeter police. And um, as I understand now, they had gone to our house um, because the crash itself was less than a mile from our home. And they came, and I was, I was at work. Chris was at work. They contacted my neighbor. She knew my, no, my number at work they called me and said that I needed to go to um, LGH, that Meredith had been in a car accident. At that time, they did not tell me that she was dead, obviously.
0: Hmm. Was she on her way home?
3: Uh, She had gone to the Y. It was a beautiful uh, July 8th, beautiful sunny day, and she was planning to meet one of her friends back at our house after she had gone to the Y, And she really didn't like exercise. So, (laughs) I'm with her on that. (laughs) (laughs) So, just going, and uh, I had texted her this morning, that morning, and she said she was heading over to the Y, and then she'd be back to go to work. And in the interim, she was going to have her friends come over and watch um, a show. So, that was fine. And um, she never made it home. Hmm. So, when they called, they just told me to go to LGH
0: and then you found out that uh, she had passed away
3: um, when you got there right uh and again so i drive to lgh and i met by the chaplain and i th- i looked at the chaplain and i said i don't need a chaplain i need a doctor and that's when they took me to a, a private room and um, i was surrounded by the doctors and the chaplain and then I needed to call Chris because Chris had been in New Jersey that day for work and he was on the road back. And they told me that, please don't just say that she was in an accident.
0: So Chris, when you did get back yeah. and uh, the two of you learned the circumstances of uh, the crash, um, I just ima- I can't imagine the the kind of emotions that you're having but anger eventually had to become one of them when you learned that Thomas Gallagher Jr. the man who had uh, created the crash yeah. that uh, he was under the influence he was he was drunk he had heroin in his system he was driving uh, he had several DUIs and was driving without a license hadn't had a license since 2003 that's when it was yeah. suspended so, I mean, what is what's going through your mind at that point?
2: Well, well, I, I think Susan and I were both naive, thinking that if you're in a suspended license, you're not driving. Um, but obviously, we were wrong. Um, yeah, there was there was a lot of anger. Um, although, to me, the question is, you know, just being angry is not going to solve it. And when we picked up the paper, read about all these other tragedies and realize that all these tragedies are preventable, um, I, I think that's, we just decided we had to do something it, because it happens too frequently. Hmm.
0: I, I believe uh, Senator Scott Martin is back on the line. Senator, are you there?
1: Yes, sir. I apologize oh. for that. Oh. pulled the cord out of the back of the phone. <laughs>
0: Well, Senator, you are a first-year legislator. I guess you're learning <laughs> yeah. about that technology there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Senator, but you, you've heard uh, the Demko's uh, yeah. story and uh, the heartbreaking, the, tragedy, uh, the tragic death of, of Meredith. But it is, unfortunately, a perfect example of why the kind of legislation that you're talking about, uh, you know, with the uh, repeat offenders, that something is needed.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, we have people that are making these decisions uh over and over again to still get behind a wheel of a car. Um, and, you know, what really hits me home about the Demko story, and I think I even shared this with Mr. Demko was you know, I lived right down the road from where that accident occurred and had driven past that location probably fifteen minutes prior to when that accident happened. And you know it really makes you think if you have your kids in the car you know, that that could have been me. And, you know, that's happening every day on roadways uh, throughout our entire country here in Pennsylvania. And and the fact that, and I believe the question you would ask me uh, probably before I didn't was, you know, to to have only a three-year minimum sentence uh, for each person killed with no changes in grading if there was prior DUIs, to me, is unacceptable and isn't really sending a message that enough's enough. Um, You know, I think our society goes above and beyond to try to work with people who are battling addictions or have issues. Uh, But here's a classic example of, you know, you put things in place, uh, taking away licenses. You know, you can't be more clear than that. You're not supposed to be driving uh, or putting people in the treatment, but they still continue to get behind the wheel of a car. For me, you are making that decision uh, that could impact families and create these tragedies, and we need much stiffer penalties. And so uh, I believe that this bill will at least get us moving in that direction.
0: Well, the last thing you just said, at least getting us moving in that direction. Last year, with the the help of the the Demkos, uh, Governor Wolf signed legislation, signed a bill into law that would... um, require some first-time DUI offenders to have ignition interlock on on their cars, on their vehicles, and that was a long time in coming here in Pennsylvania. That took years to get done. I remember Mad talking about it 10, 15 years ago. So what is it with Pennsylvania? I mean, I was checking yesterday. We're ranked like 47th or 48th in the country in the severity of our drunk driving laws. What is it with Pennsylvania? You know, I... <clears throat>
1: It's always astonished me because, obviously, having run a uh, prison before too, and seeing you know how many folks come in and out, and it's like a revolving door for short periods of time, uh, and obviously running drug and alcohol programs, this has been a serious problem. When you were a county and commissioner in Lancaster county, county, yes, sir, mm-hmm. and to see the fact that uh, we have such lax laws when it terms when it comes to repeat offenders. Um, You know, uh, I've worked in the criminal justice system, and there's always mitigating and aggravating circumstances when it comes to sentencing. And it's amazing, though, when you look at DUI-related laws in Pennsylvania, as opposed to other things that occur in the criminal justice system, it astonishes me that over the years, we've been very lax on, on repeat offenders being an aggravating circumstance that Increases it. You fear to be a step up in the severity of, of, of punishment. The more times you do things, and in Pennsylvania, that was very limited. Uh, why I couldn't tell you. All I can tell you is that that needs to change.
0: You know, Senator, and you know, comment on this if you want. Just it, it just strikes me that uh, it hasn't been taken as seriously as other crimes. I mean, as you said, you you know, you commit a crime and, you know, I I, I won't name one, but uh, that you you repeat, you break that law over and over and over, the penalty should get stronger as you go. So it almost says that it hasn't been taken that seriously here in Pennsylvania.
1: Well, you know, and and does it fit into the old thing, oh, you make excuses for someone's behavior by saying uh, they were, you know, they were drunk. They didn't know what they were doing. You know, there was a decision that was made at some point to pick up or open up that can of beer or or, or to you know, get in, in, in the car. You could prepare by turning over your keys to friends if you know you're going to do that. And, you know, and of course then when you add in driving under the impairment of other types of drugs as well. You know, you're making a conscious decision to do these things. And yes, I appreciate people have addictions and that they that they need help. But I'm sorry, it does not give you the right to put other people's lives at risk, or when you create these strategies tragedies, yes, people should be rehabilitated but there's also punishment that goes with crimes. And here I really hope that people will see what this legislation entails, that when they think, really think that they're going to get behind or they're going to start their car up even though they have a suspended license, that there could be some severe ramifications if you cause the kind of tragedies like we're, we're hearing about today.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about uh, Pennsylvania's DUI laws. Really, we should be talking, I should be describing them as impaired driving laws. I'm going to ask about that in uh, just a few minutes. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at Smart Talk WITF. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Seven five three two. Our guest today, State Senator Scott Martin, Republican from Lancaster County, and Chris and Susan Demko. They were founders of Pennsylvania Parents Against Impaired Driving. Again, one 7532 two nine seven five three two. Let's take a phone call from James in Harrisburg. James, you're on the air. Hello, James. You there? Okay, he only could stay on for a few minutes anyway. But uh, his question was uh, what is being done in Pennsylvania to address why people continue to drive drunk? What's being done for prevention? And, you know, he's talking about education. Senator, this would seem to be one of the answers. I don't think there's any one answer to this, but uh, one of the things that uh, we can do is try to prevent someone from getting behind the wheel before, you know, once they've had a few drinks, before they even do it.
1: No, absolutely, you know, an ounce of prevention is always worth a pound of cure, and there's no better place to start than with young people. I could tell you uh, throughout my years in county government, probably the number one thing that we saw budget cuts to, and this was in bipartisan fashion, was to our local drug and alcohol commissions who helped coordinate a lot of the prevention programs. And these cuts went back from like to 2003 to 2012. And when you get into a crisis, like we have with opioids and other things, uh, the first thing that usually gets cut, um, you need rehabilitation dollars. The first thing that would get cut are prevention dollars. Um, but for me, it even goes back further. And, you know, it starts in our households, too. Um, and, you know, our parents truly talking about kids, about issues like this related to uh, uh, underage drinking, drinking while driving, distracted driving. Um, we, we have a long way. We can do much better society when it comes to that. Otherwise, we would not be seeing, you know, as many of these tragedies that we do. Uh, but all too often, um, folks ignore that good advice. Um, And, uh, you know, as much as we need prevention, we also need serious ramifications on the back ends,
0: too. Uh, Chris, the name of your organization, Pennsylvania Parents Against Impaired Driving, not drunk driving, not DUI driving, impaired driving. Uh, First of all, Gallagher, the driver of Mm -hmm. the car, was involved in uh, the crash with uh, Meredith, as I mentioned, had heroin in his system. This is becoming a bigger problem all the time. Impaired driving. Also talk about people who are texting, uh, maybe using uh, prescription drugs, that kind of thing. So you're not just talking about, you know, someone who has gone to a bar, had five or six drinks, maybe even more, and got me behind the wheel. But there are a lot of ways to be distracted and to be impaired.
2: Yes, and, and, and impaired driving, in our mind, is much broader than just alcohol. Um, we have probably, I'll say, 19 families, although it's a little bit more, but we, we pull together data on the 19 families. It's anecdotal, but it's representative. Um, you know, out of the 19 crashes, six of them involved alcohol and drugs, 11 only alcohol, and drugs, too. So the reality of it is that whole group is actually relatively large, saying that drugs are involved. Um, So, no, it's, it's a much bigger issue than alcohol. And if you look at the data over the past six years in the state of Pennsylvania, the percentage of crashes, injuries, and deaths related to alcohol or alcohol and drugs combined has been growing every year.
0: Senator, it almost feels like we're reacting to the to the issue, that we're not being proactive. As you well know, and you mentioned earlier, and I think uh, the, the demco's situation points out, we have a major opioid problem in this state and across this country. So we have more people on the road. I mean, aside from all the other problems that the opioid crisis creates, we have many more people driving on roads under the influence of drugs. It just seems as though we somehow we've got to get a hold of this.
4: Oh, absolutely!
1: You know, I, I had a friend who who's uh, came across someone uh, with a car drifting backwards uh, the other day in the city of uh, Lancaster a few weeks a few weeks back, and and the person was ODing on heroin, drifting backwards in the car at a light. Um, it, it is critical, but I will tell you this: it's it's. It, when we say it's reactionary, um, you know, and it does draw in new people when tragedies occur, you know, there have been groups and organizations have been ringing this bell. And it's getting louder and louder. Uh, these these talks about how inadequate Pennsylvania laws have have been going on for a very long time. And what's really important, what's helpful for whether you know this bill in the Senate, I know you know Keith Greiner uh, from Lancaster County is doing work on the House of Representatives, is we need more folks who care about this issue, and uh, to call their legislators and demand that. They want to see action. You know, there's many different things that fly through these committees in Harrisburg and, you know, certain topics that, you know, we hear about. This is this is just as important as conversations regarding property tax reform, pension reform, and we need folks to join these efforts and have really put pressure on the legislature to get these bills passed. That's the thing, and the, the DEMCOs are doing an amazing job uh, with the folks they're working with and their groups to draw more attention, and they're up in the Capitol and meeting with folks. But we also need other folks, too, out there to be calling into different different districts. We need an all-hands-on-deck to push this legislation so it can move through committee, through each chamber, and get it on the governor's desk.
0: Senator, you know, one of the things that uh, happens very often with the public, is that you know they get their news from the legislature, from the media. And uh, you know I'm proud to say here at WITF, we have a state capital reporter, does a wonderful job, uh, Katie Meyer. But they can't cover everything. Right. It seems as though the legislature, and you tell me whether this is accurate or not, that the legislature is so focused on budget issues that very often a lot of other things don't get done.
1: I, I, that's definitely a very good point there's some folks that we think we should go to a two-year budget you know past two-year budget so that way we can focus on accountability and other issues um, no doubt but you know having even the limited time that i've been up there and i've seen other types of bills move that are obviously non-budgetary related on many different topics this needs to be a priority as well uh, and so to get it through committee is important um i've already uh, talking with uh, uh the chairman, uh, chairman of judiciary and, and the vice chairman, uh, uh, Senator Rafferty, we have a good set of co-sponsors on this bill that's bipartisan on top of that. Um, but we need it run. And and, and if we can get folks to, to, to reach out to the local senators, at least from, from this perspective, this bill, uh, to... You know, to join up in, in, in co-sponsoring this and to join in getting it to be run, that would be a huge
0: help. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the, the first legislator says, you know what, I am i don't think our drunk driving laws are tough enough. That's the one I want to see and, you know, hear from that person. Let's go to uh, Mark in Harrisburg. Mark, you're on the air.
4: Yes, good morning. And good thank morning. you for taking my call. Good I really love listening to the show every morning. Well, it, thank uh, you. It expands my mind so much. And, and again, I can't thank you guys enough. Well, thank
0: you. What's on your mind?
4: I wanted to speak about the uh, the, the consequences of DUI. And I, I first want to say that I'm against drinking and driving. I'm against impaired driving. I think we should call for harsh more punishments, and, as well as I feel, for the family of Meredith. And I think that that should not happen to anyone. And there should be more stricter punishments to be given. Now, with that being said, I also would like to know um, what about the people who are successful, you know, because on the back end of things and someone like myself where uh, if I get caught driving, I don't drink and drive. I had a DUI in 2006, but I'm still feeling the repercussions. I can't drive. And if I drive, I'm going to uh, go to jail for 90 days. And, again, for just driving. And I have a family that I have to feed. I have uh, bills that I have to pay, and my job does not call for me to uh, catch a bus. Uh, I run a business, and the majority of my business is running around. So, what about people like myself? Again, I'm not for hurting anyone, but people who myself are trying to get out of the situation that do not drink and drive, but are still feeling the consequences from something that happened over 10 years ago.
0: Hey, thank you very much for your call, Senator. And this is a point that comes up very often when uh, someone who is convicted of DUI, uh, you know, has to pay the, the, the penalty that, you know, they say, I made a mistake. Uh, but how am I going to support my family? How am I going to drive to work? Now, you know, it sounds like, Mark, it was a one-time deal. But what do you say to a person like that or say about people like that?
1: I would say a couple things. You know, uh, first and foremost, someone who's worked on various reentry kind of – I understand the importance of of offenders who, you know, need to have those community connections, get jobs, uh, and be able to take care of their their, their family. I I understand that. And you're talking about a case, and it's good to hear him talking the way he is now. It sounds like he was a one-time offender. But it's important to point out that this bill is what really is targeting is the statistics behind – Uh, who were mainly causing a lot of these tragedies. And these are repeat offenders, repeat offenders who continue to make that mistake. So uh, your last caller with Mark, it sounds like he's really trying to get his life together and do the right things. You know, amen to that. We should work with folks like that to give them the tools necessary to succeed. However, we're talking about cases of people who continue to thumb their nose at any kind of structure that's given to them prior, and you know, say, listen, okay, you didn't do this. You're going to have, you know, here's here's how you're we're going to work with you. Here was what your punishment was, which
4: was relatively
1: minimal, and but yet you continue to, you know, put your thumb in the nose to, against that, and and continue to want to get behind the wheel of a car when you're drinking. And so I think that's what really differentiates. Maybe what Mark was talking about with what we're really focused on in this bill. And this bill, the statistics really show these repeat offenders um, uh, on suspended licenses who are causing these tragedies. And these are they keep making those poor decisions over and over and over again and as much as i believe in rehabilitation i still believe in victims rights and i still believe that there's consequences to poor decision making and unfortunately when your poor decision making leads to uh, uh, these tragedies and families all across our commonwealth there are going to be repercussions to that
0: well, uh, susan or chris i mean both of you can weigh in here do you have compassion for someone like that i mean yeah. I would just think that it would be difficult, having your experience, to you know hear something like that and say, well, I understand, but here's what happened to us.
2: I would say we can look at it practically. We understand that there's a section of first-time offenders that have to pay the penalty, and that you know there's a road there, there's a roadmap back to license licenses. And you got to pay your fines. You can get an occupational license. And then you may have to go, when you get your license, you may have to have an interlock on it. So from standpoint, there is, there is a way back. I, I know there's a cost to it, and that's probably one of the challenges as well. Um, so I, I get the fact that people have to work. And I, to me, it's we, we, believe it or not, we don't want to throw everybody in jail. We get it. But the reality of it is, as Scott said, Is there's too many people that just keep doing it. That's what we're really focused on here. So I understand someone who's trying to work, who's trying to make an income to support family, but I would sit there and say the laws do provide for a process back. And I don't know what else was going on in Mark's case.
0: Is it, and I think uh, Senator Martin described this, and I think that most of us are aware that a lot of time with first time offenders, maybe even second time, maybe even third time offenders, that there are plea deals that yeah. uh, are reached, Just, as I said, that you closed your eyes, yeah. and uh, I can tell that's not something that uh, you're a big fan of. Oh, it it seems as though this is a, this is a a, a a breach in the law when someone breaks the law in the, in a case like this. That often, and we do know that, you know, we have overcrowded prisons, things like that. But this seems to be a law that's broken, a crime committed, that often a prosecutor will reach a deal with a lawyer.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, it's such a broad topic. Um, I would just say, and we have families within our group where when the, their child was killed, adult child, 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 um, and when it went to court, the concept was priors couldn't be introduced and a lot of this falls to the judge. So you're going to have cases where we we got lucky, if you want to call it that, but obviously there's no luck here that people would want. Our killer got 20 years. There's another case where there's a repeat offender, and the killer gets nine years. And what's the difference? Other than a few little facts, the judge wouldn't allow the introduction of evidence about priors and ours it sound like it would have it would have occurred. So the plea deals are taken all the time. I don't always blame I don't blame the DAs for taking plea deals because they're living within the law. Um, I think what Scott's bill does is it it kind of takes away my perception from the judge, the ability to say, well, no, we're not going to introduce prior, because we strongly believe that if you have a prior, you had to go through you had to go through classes that explain all the consequences of what can go wrong with driving drunk. So, to me, all prior should be allowed, because it's really important to what that offender did to introduce the fact that he or she should have known better. Mm-hmm.
0: There are 13 bills, and correct me if I'm wrong. Here is, is it Senator Martin's. Is, is that one of the 13? Yes. Or, okay. There are 13 bills that are in the legislature now that are related to impaired driving, uh, to DUI. Uh, what are some of the other things that you've
2: liked to see? Um, there's a Senate Bill 38 that's been introduced that is similar to. Um, martin's bill but it has to do with controlled substances so it also creates a felony for a third time Um, that bill we strongly support Um, the other one and this is going to be a little bit off topic but it's part of our i'll say our broader opinion of what's going on there's house bill 1049 and it increases penalties for those driving under suspension that where the suspension was tied to dui this is a little issue that i think most people don't realize But in the state of Pennsylvania, there's 140,000 individuals with suspended licenses due to DUI, including 74,000 for repeats. Now, those 74,000 for repeats, I would consider clearly high-risk group. Well, if you get pulled over driving illegally, and it's called a DUS-DUI, that includes 60 days in jail and a fine. That's a minimum. What happens, now talk about pleas, what happens all the time, when they go before the district justice, it gets pled down a lot to a straight D.U.S. So all that is is a fine. You plead guilty, you pay the fine. But you've been driving under suspension. Gallagher, and this is a little known issue with us, Gallagher was pulled over three months before he killed Meredith. The officer wrote him up for D.U.S., not D.U.S., D.U.I., Now,
0: was he he drunk when he was pulled over? No,
2: no, but he was driving under suspension, which is a penalty, which which is a law. They did not cite him for DUS DUI. If he had been cited, he could have been in jail the day he killed Meredith. Now we're not we're not saying anything bad about the police or judiciary. We're only saying this to say we believe that they need to focus on D.U.S., and that's happening all around the state. So that's that bill would increase the penalty for D.U.S. What you're going to find is there's these repeat offenders for D.U.S. that just keep driving and they just keep getting the tickets or the minimum house arrest concept. So that's another bill that we strongly support. But that issue really needs to go Mm -hmm. to judiciary and other members.
0: All right. Let me uh, take another phone call here from John in Harrisburg. John, you're on the air.
2: Uh, Thank you, Scott. Uh, I'd like to know if Representative
0: Martin would be willing to sponsor legislation that would forbade members of the Judiciary and the General Assembly found guilty of multiple offenses from holding office. Does that happen? Does it happen? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, Senator, is this something that uh, you've, you've has crossed uh, crossed your desk? Uh, I, I
1: remember reading stories uh, in the past, and I've heard stories of others. But I agree. I mean, if these are given felony classifications then I, I believe, yes, that should be a pre- prerequisite not to be able to do that. That's my opinion.
0: Would you be willing to introduce something like that?
1: I could definitely look into doing that, absolutely.
0: Uh-huh. All right. Thank you very much for your call. We're almost out of time for this portion of the program. I want to thank you all our guests for being with us. State Senator uh, Scott Martin, Republican from Lancaster County, Chris and Susan Demko, founders of Pennsylvania Parents Against Impaired Driving. Thank all of you for being with us today. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Scott.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. Your home for NPR News and all things regional, I'm Scott Lamar. Switching gears, businesses, communities, and government can integrate more easily today through the Internet and other technologies in ways they never could before. Real-time responses allow for both municipal and commercial management to meet constituent and client needs instantly. According to Jim Deniger, who is president and CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade, adopting this paradigm into public planning, could be a key to developing successful and sustainable, sustainable models. Dinegar spoke about the smart cities at Penn State Harrisburg last month. He joins us now to discuss this implementation of the smart city concepts and how they can benefit the region. Jim Dinegar, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, good morning, Scott. Thanks for having me.
0: If you have a question or a comment, one eight hundred seven two nine seven five three two, 729 7532 or send an email to smarttalk at org. All right, let's, let's define a few terms here. Uh, smart city principles. What are smart city principles?
5: Well, it's going to be a little bit along the lines of how it sounds. It's operating better, smarter, uh, taking some of the efficiencies of operation, the economies of scale and asking the questions, well, what if we did it differently? What if we did it better? What if we operated on the part of the greater Washington region as more of a region instead of where we have Northern Virginia, suburban Maryland, and the District of Columbia? Sometimes they compete, sometimes they're at odds, but when we can grow the pie bigger, It's the opportunity to work better together.
0: Well, you know, we've been talking about this, and uh, you know very often it's described as regionalization. But uh, we've been talking about this, we, meaning a lot of people here in the United States, uh, about this for a long, long time. What's different?
5: Well, I think it's uh, born of the difficulties that are found in state and local budgets. And I'll quickly say um, I know the greater Washington area very well. I was asked to come up. Uh, PNC invited me up to Penn State at Harrisburg to speak about regionalism and smart cities. I was pleased to do it, but I I don't hold myself out as an expert on your region. But I do see I do see a lot of similarities because you have these well, a state capital. You've got uh, counties that could work better together. You're right at the state edge, so there is an opportunity to work with other jurisdictions. And when we here in the Greater Washington region look at opportunities. We see a growth opportunity that includes Baltimore. Baltimore is a big deal for the growth of the greater Washington region, not to overtake it, but some of their strengths are our weaknesses, and our strengths are some of their weaknesses. So they have a, a great port. They've got a real opportunity for manufacturing and some light industrial, and some growth in that area is a major destination for international ports, international shipping. Uh, You've got distribution centers. Uh, Cybersecurity continues to grow up in the whole greater Washington region. Well, how do we cross some of these borders and share? How do we grow the opportunities? And as I say, how do you grow the pie bigger instead of each of the jurisdictions going after their own pie? What's different now is that the county and state budgets are tight. There's a regional collaboration mindset that the residents have as more new people move into these different regions and go, why do we do it this way? Why do we have separate counties that have building and business permitting? Well, down here, I've got 14 different places that have 14 different business applications. I could get my kid into college on a common app, but I can't open up a burger place in these 14 different jurisdictions without filling out different forms. It's things like that, Scott, and bigger transportation. Here we have the metro system, but we also have a commuter rail, one from Maryland that stops at Union Station, another from Virginia that stops at Union Station. God forbid anybody from those jurisdictions wants to cross over the river into each other's neighborhoods. That's the, that's the thinking that is really the opportune time.
0: Well, just what you're describing in the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, Maryland, partnering with uh, what's going on in Baltimore. You know, I I hope our listeners can uh, see what how that would apply to uh, here in central Pennsylvania as well. I I was curious, though, when you said that. Uh, As new people move in, they have an attitude or they they think about regionalization. Pennsylvania has 2,500 municipalities and 500 local school districts Uh, this is a state that has many identities many of the longtime residents are you know i live in such and such a township that's my identity i don't want any the problems that uh, you know my neighboring township or city or borough has we have our own problems we have to take care of so i'm curious when you say because this is a fast-growing area about when new people bring come in they have new attitudes
5: yeah, there'll be some tension, and don't, don't underestimate it. Uh, you know, people still hearken back to where they went to high school or what beach they go to, and do they call it the shore. And, you know, I mean, look, there's a whole lot of local, not even regional mindset, and I don't dismiss it. You have to work within it and go after the opportunities or tackle the challenges that are the biggest challenges that you face. And if you can look at it regionally, uh, candidly, I'll tell you some other areas are preparing to eat our lunch On cybersecurity, no one challenges the greater Washington region according to the strengths that we have on cybersecurity if we were to work well together. But right now, Silicon Valley is making a heck of a run at it. So is Austin, Texas, Boston, Massachusetts. And it's because we argue among ourselves who's the home to cyber instead of throwing a stake in the ground saying the region is. Let's go market the region. So I will say that if the challenge is great enough, and it's really a problem for the region. I see the counties getting together to face it together. And somebody, a good leader or some group that can paint the picture of the preferred future can do a very good job of that. Same thing with opportunities, but it's, it's almost more difficult to rally people behind an opportunity. They can, they can just continue to push it off, but it's a, it's a missed opportunity in that respect. It could save real money. It could generate more revenues. It could galvanize a community to grow in a certain area, whether it's an industry or a type of profession or tackling issues like unemployment or workforce growth. The, the world is changing very quickly. Harrisburg and the surrounding areas are very well poised on distribution centers. The number one study in graduate schools of business in the greater Washington area Supply chain management. And I had to scratch my head around that because the greater Washington region is not known for supply chain management. But when you look at things like freight, when you look at distribution centers, when you look at Amazon, when you look at drones, all of that into the future, the graduate students get it. And I think we're in the business community almost playing a little bit of catch up from the region oh my goodness harrisburg and the opportunities surrounding harrisburg for distribution centers for amazon for the roadways for the even to the freight and chamber'sburg and beyond it's it's taking a good strategic look at where the opportunities reside and if you operated more regionally Could you tackle those opportunities better?
0: What you've been advocating is better use of technology, but also mobility. Let's talk about technology. I mean, that is one of the big changes in our society over the last 10, 20, 30 years. But how can we use technology to be more successful?
5: Well, so you have to look at some of the opportunities where it's the workforce challenges. You can't find enough people to fill certain jobs. Automation will creep in and maybe it needs to be accelerated You're also looking at technology of the driverless cars, autonomous vehicles, whether those are drones or cars or delivery. And I'm going to go with little parcels that can be delivered. They're ground drones. We've seen them already. Uh, Pittsburgh's leading the way as it relates to the autonomous vehicles. Pittsburgh and the greater Washington region sort of chafes at that. Hockey aside, we (laughs) chafe at it because I have to say that we don't want to lose out to attracting the millennials. when. Kids graduate colleges. We want them and need them to move to the Greater Washington region to continue to do the work that we continue to grow here. Uh, but Pittsburgh's making a heck of a play for being a cool place to live, uh, affordable housing, and all of the rest. So, on the technology, you have to have the fiber, you have to have the Wi-Fi. We are looking to get more of that in our metro system, region-wide. You certainly have to be able to be supportive of the cybersecurity side so you can keep everything going. It all gets interrelated, and those are all industries that that spin off. We're looking at the growth of the uh, education online, not necessarily University of Phoenix, but more of how students today and into the future are gaining access. And with the borders coming up around the world, and certainly in the United States, we're seeing a drop in international students, but there are ways to reach those international students through technology, companies like a company called 2U down here in the Maryland area uh, does an enormous amount of online education. And it's that type of growth industry, those cottage industries, if you will, that if Harrisburg and surrounding counties sit together and identify what the needs are and what your strengths are and how you can play off of those strengths, technology is ruling the day.
0: That is uh, what you've just described. Uh, you know, in some ways, uh, entrepreneurs, and that is a big part of, of what you're advocating too. Is uh, that entrepreneurs uh, come about in uh, this region and throughout the country? Talk about that.
5: Well, and they're borderless. The entrepreneurs are borderless. They they can sell anything online. They don't have, actually need many physical locations when they do those types of things. It's the access to the right minds. It's the access to the support networks, some networking opportunities to be able to collaborate and cross-pollinate, if you will. So we have a growth in <coughs> excuse me, in the uh, uh, shared workspace down here, growing like leaps and bounds. WeWork is one company, and a number of other companies are here. And it's a fast-growing segment. In fact, WeWork is the second-largest real estate company, commercial real estate company, in the United States, and they don't own any real estate. Their market cap is about $19 billion, and they have over 100,000 members around the world. It's transforming certain workplaces so that you have this collaboration. Uh, You need some central locations, central cities, opportunities for growth where you've got the population base. But I I will tell you that it's not even 9 to 5. The Millennials now work early in the morning or, more typically, late into the evening, and it's not defined by borders, and it's certainly not defined by time zones any longer. It really does make the state and local borders more irrelevant. They, uh, except for taxes, the, the entrepreneurs today, it doesn't really matter where they are if they can get access to high-speed if they can get access to like minds, strong education centers so they can get a good workforce but also continue on with continuing education. All of those elements, all of those ingredients are in place in your region.
0: You know, you touched on this earlier and just mentioned it again, uh, getting a, a workforce and we've talked about that often in this program in, in recent months, a skilled workforce uh, in particular. We have heard about many employers in our region that are having uh, a bit of a challenge finding those skilled workers, those, those workers that have the background. This seems to be an issue across the country. What's going on?
5: Well, I, I would tell you that the economy is getting stronger, that the unemployment is getting lower and the recruitment and retaining, now that people are starting to free up some dollars, I can speak for this region, and it sounds like it's similar there. It is the issue of our time. Over the past 18 months, if people have not been paying attention, it's neck-snapping how fast things have turned around. People are the employees are looking at signing bonuses, at moving money. Oh, thank you for the offer. Let me match it up against the other two offers I've received. If, God forbid, you're interviewing somebody three and four times, you lost them on the first interview. And so that's for the low unemployment, I'd say skilled workforce. The challenge is that there are a lot of people who are not skilled, and we still need to fill a lot of the jobs, whether it's um, labor-type jobs or it's the wave of unemployment or or retirements that we see in the utilities industry. Uh, It gets to be pretty difficult to recruit the people to climb the poles, to dig the ditches, to do the work of laying pipe or fiber and the rest. And so they're at a premium. I'll also tell you, and you're probably familiar with it, there's a national shortage of truck drivers. The wages are very high. The work is no longer the cross country. There's two and three hour hops that you're sleeping in your bed at night. It's a totally different industry. And we can't find enough of these truck drivers. So There needs to be retraining and there needs to be training centers. There needs to be uh, badges or or certificates provided at community colleges and universities, not just the two-year and four-year education programs. If the colleges can partner up with the businesses, if the businesses can underwrite some of these programs and put a base of their employees through them, it's that kind of collaboration that's going to continue to to get us the people we need. If it's done strategically – If every business is trying to set up their own thing and they're not tying it in together through a a local or regional chamber of commerce or through a business organization, then there's a missed opportunity for the efficiencies of operations and doing it correctly. If everybody's trying to go out there and sort of create their own program, it needs to be let's identify the biggest needs and see how we can fill those needs together.
0: Hmm. Jim Denninger is the president and CEO of the Greater Washington Board of Trade. Mr. Denninger, thank you very much for being with us today.
5: Scott, thanks for asking me.
0: I'll tell you what, there's a lot uh, of food for thought there. Uh, You know, central Pennsylvania, yes, we have our cities and uh, we have some very populated suburbs, uh, but we also have... uh, a, a lot of rural areas in in central pennsylvania and many people are wondering where those high paying jobs are going to come from from the future in the future you know some of the things that uh, jim Dendiger described there it sounds as if that may be where we are going with technology entrepreneurship Working from home, starting your own business—there's a lot there. Uh, actually, I'm going to be off over the next uh, few days, but uh, we do have some encore Smart Talk programs, some of the best of Smart Talk. We also have uh, some of uh, WITF journalists Ben Allen, Marie Cusick, and uh, Katie Meyer will be filling in, uh, talking about their specific areas and some some really good shows tomorrow. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, last week we recorded a program at the new Museum of the American. Revolution in Philadelphia. We'll hear that program tomorrow.